Looking for an extraordinary coffee? Look no further than Heartwork Coffee. With eight years of excellence and proudly roasting in the vibrant city of San Diego, California, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to explore a wide range of single origin and blended coffees to suit your taste preference. On a personal note, co-founder Rob Moran has played in so many bands that have inspired me personally, like Unbroken and Some Girls, for example, and it's been amazing watching Heartwork thrive all these years. The coffee is amazing, and I'm thrilled to support this company. Once again, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to place an order. That is H-E-A-R-T, work, coffeebar.com. Hello and welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest this week for episode 145 is Adam McElwee, or as you may know him, Wikifay's Springs Eternal. His brand new record came out last Friday, June 2nd. It is self-titled, came out on Run For Cover Records. And I'm going to go as far as to say it's my favorite work of his yet. I'm sure many of you already know this, but it's worth mentioning that Adam was also a founding member of Tiger's Jaw. He left the band shortly after the record Charmer. A really funny thing that you'll hear us talk about is that I have never met Adam in person. This is actually the longest conversation we've ever had. We've been text friends for a long time internet acquaintances, all of those sorts of things. But it was really cool that this was our first time getting to chat. And hopefully we can actually meet in person one of these goddamn years. Um, I want to let you know that he has two events happening, August 5th in Los Angeles at the Echoplex, and then September 9th in Brooklyn at the Warsaw as part of the Wicca Phase curated event called Eternal Twilight. Grab tickets to that as soon as you can. I also want to let you know that there is a bonus episode available right now where Adam answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. This might have been the most questions that I've had come in for a guest. So you can imagine it's super fun, super awesome. You can hear that by going to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. You can subscribe for as little as $3 a month. Get access to that. Subscribe for a little more and you can submit questions to upcoming guests. There's a Discord channel, all sorts of stuff. I am on tour right now. I'm recording this ahead of time. So hopefully all is going according to plan. I'll be posting updates from the road. I often do tour journals. So if you're interested in anything like that, head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. I want to let you know the shows that we are actually playing this week if you're over in Europe. Uh, tonight, we are playing a club show with Chalk Hands in Paris at... La Maraquinerie. I butchered that. I'm sorry to the people of France. Uh, something else I'm going to butcher is where we're playing tomorrow, which is uh, Besançon, France, at Le Antoinor. <laughs> I'm a dumb American. What can I say? 
Uh, that's also with Chalk Hands. And then on the 11th, we're going to be playing the Download Festival in the UK. Uh, our day has Slipknot headlining. And I think like, I think our, our friends in Soul Glow will be with us as well. Looking forward to seeing them. And then on the 13th, we are playing in Hamburg at Fabric with Wrong Man, which is members of Rise and Fall. And the first show of the tour with Boneflower. You might have just heard Boneflower as we released a single for uh, their song on the upcoming Balladeers Redefined Comp. They're out of Madrid, Spain. They might also be my favorite band. Holy shit. Have you listened to that song? Have you listened to Boneflower? God damn. They're like if Deaf Heaven was a screamo band. All right, that's it for me. I hope you enjoy this incredible conversation with the incredibly funny, the charming, the talented. It's Adam McElwee. How's it going, Adam? It's nice to see you. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Jeremy. Um, okay, this is, correct me if I'm wrong, is this officially the first time that we are more like, because we still have not met in person, am I wrong? No, you're right. <laughs> you're correct. It's, how is that possible? How is that I, actually possible? I don't know. You know, I felt really comfortable coming on here too, and and uh, because it felt like I knew you, but but I, I guess I, you know, yeah, this is the, the first time that, that we're having a face-to-face conversation or screen-to-screen, you know? Yeah, it's um, it's almost like a bit at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I do have one funny memory. Do you remember when I was at the gym and I accidentally FaceTimed you and you answered very concerned that maybe I had been kidnapped? Because you're like, why are you FaceTiming me? <laughs> I do remember that. I had forgotten about it until now, but yeah, now that now that you say that, I do remember that. <laughs> let me let me tell you what I what I all of a sudden just looked at my phone because I was like, I'm hearing that weird FaceTime sound, and then I looked at my phone, and then you were looking back at me, and having that be our very very actual first face to face was like, well, this is mortifying on my behalf. <laughs> yeah, I must have blocked that out. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. I mean, I'm happy to to finally do this with you. I mean, we've been. I've had your phone number for goddamn like 12 <laughs> yeah. years, something like that, 13 years. Cause I remember Merrick, uh, who is still our booking agent, um, who booked Tiger's Jaw and everything like that. Him very early on saying, I need you two to be friends. Cause I feel like you two would get along really, really well. And so he passed me your number. And then I remember we started texting. But again, here we are almost fucking you know, 13 years later, finally having this face to face. Yeah. How about that? I just started, uh, uh, with ground control like a month ago too. So I'm, I'm back on team Merrick. I was, I was with APA for a little bit, but now I'm, now I'm, uh, yeah. Under the, under the guidance of Merrick. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, He's it's so funny. You know, I'll randomly have people from bands or whatever, or, or any sort of artist be like, Hey, I'm, t- I'm thinking about, uh, you know, like I got approached by Merrick. What do you, th- you know, like, what do you think of him? And I'm like, I love him, but he's literally the only person who I've ever worked with. So I, I don't really have any <laughs> other frame of reference, but like, I mean, we're still with him. So that's got to say something, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, I, I, like you said, like I, I worked with him with, um, when I was in Tiger's Jaw. I wasn't the one dealing with Merrick or anything like that, you know, but we stayed in touch even, even after I left and he was like an early supporter of Wikifaze super early on. Right. And, um, and then it was, I mean, that would have been like 10 years ago or something, 12, uh, yeah, about 10 years ago. And, um, and then 
for whatever reason, I, I, I wanted to, to switch up my booking a little bit. And so I just started t talking with Merrick again. And it wasn't even like, will you book me? It was just like, hey, do I have a, do I have a case here? Should I, you know, can my problems be solved by right. switching agencies? Are the problems inherent to me? Um, and Merrick did not believe that the problems were inherent to me. So he said, you know, come on over to ground control. And, uh, and he said, you know, between um, him and, and Josh, they could take care of me. And um, so now I'm, I'm talking to Merrick multiple times a week again, and it's great. It's just, it's like being home. You know? Yeah, it's that familiar feeling for sure. Yeah. And he's, I mean, not to uh, not to get too inside baseball for people who are listening to this, but like there's something really special about being able to work with somebody who also is a great sounding board, which I think he has always yes. been for, for us, where like even before we had management and he's the one who turned us on to our manager who we're still with now for like, you know, over 10 years too. Um, he was always kind of played that role. So, you know, if anyone out there's a, a, a musician of any point or any kind you know whatever like and you're looking for someone for that sort of role make sure they're also somebody that you can bounce off, off ideas you know that in a comfortable way to where you trust them to have opinions on anything you know yes i second that um so you know i get let's i guess let's just you know start hopping into this you know the show is all about first experiences and things like that so i know you're from scranton originally right yes did you ever, I don't know if I know this, have you ever lived outside? Like, have you spent any time in New York or, or LA? Have you always just stayed in that sort of area? I've always been in this area. I, um, I grew up here and then I, uh, I got a, um, uh, a scholarship to a, a local college and, uh, it was, it, it was a good scholarship. So my parents were like, that's where you're going, you know? Sure. And, yeah. um, and I was like, okay, that's fine. And then, um, and then right after college, I, I, uh, got a, a job in, um, marketing. I was an English major, but I was always doing like social media work and stuff like that. And I got an office job doing social media and, and, um, digital strategy and stuff like that in Scranton. Um, and then I left that in 2018 would have been like January, January of 2018 to go full time with music. And my plan was just, um, I'll give it two years. You know, I know I have enough money saved where if this totally tanks and I'm totally out to lunch here, I know that I can stay in this area and, and pay rent and everything like that for, for a couple of years. Totally. Um, with that said, I um, I uh, just uh, sold my house. Well, it's in the process of selling. We accepted an offer on on this house um, last week, so I'm going to be moving uh, not too far from here, but but um, across the the Pennsylvania New York border. So um, I'll be in a different state, but uh, it's not like that. You know, yeah. it's not like I'm moving to New York City or anything like that. No. Did you ever have any sort of want for anything like that? Or do you feel like you're, you're pretty com comfortable with where you're, you've been at? I'm, I'm comfortable. Um, I, I've never been the type of person who needed, who needed, who felt compelled to move somewhere else to, to, you know, get the most out of my life or, or anything like that. Um, I'm always, I've always been good at keeping myself busy. Um, Wicker phase 
especially was a, a particularly online project uh, early on. So, um, you know, everyone I knew from the internet was scattered and, and it didn't really matter, you know, where I lived or something like that. It was just sending songs back and forth through, through email and, and stuff like that. Um, no, I'm like largely a, a content person, you know, and I'm, I, my plan is to move to the, um, the Catskills area, which is a place that I've been visiting and recording in for the past five or six years. So I'm, I'm also comfortable there and it's not like there's some thriving music community there or anything mm -hmm. like that. It's just, um, I, I know that I'll be comfortable there. I, I like the area and, uh, I think it'll be conducive to what I do. Um, I will still be somewhat isolated from, from my peers and stuff like that, but you know, that really doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. I mean, there's something lucky too about being, you know, I don't know that we'll call it stones throw, but something throw from those, from something like New York city. Like if you had the urge to go there, you wanted to work with someone there or whatever, like you could take up, you know, take up a space there for as long as you needed, but then get back to where you're comfortable. So exactly. You know. That's a yeah, and I'm not far. I'm not far from New York at all. And I do go there like pretty often. I go to Philadelphia pretty often too. You know, I'm only two hours from, from each of them. So it's, it's totally fine. And I'm only, you know, six hour flight from LA. So yeah, not, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, well, let me ask you this. When you were growing up, what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours? Maybe not something that was like being played in the house by any sort of parent figure, but something that you discovered on your own i mean it would have been the radio it would have been like top 40 radio um and and it would have been like the early to mid 90s i was born in 89 but but i was into music early like you know five or six years old listening to the radio picking out my favorites and it was when that um just like euro dance um wave hit top 40 radio so like labouche or, or yeah you know, ads like that stuff like that aqua and eiffel 65 and whatever all of those um acts and, and their singles and stuff were like my favorite my absolute favorite i loved it and also around that time you were getting a lot of um like uh you know, a lot of hip hop, a lot of like bad boy records, stuff like that. Puff Daddy, Mace, Notorious B.I.G., Busta Rhymes. You would hear that on the radio too. Not as, um, not as often, but at least not here, but you would hear it on like Friday night, DJ nights or something like that. And I, that was another thing where I was just like obsessed with it. And I was, um, you know, I'd be, I'd be taping the song. I'd be playing the songs through like a boom box and then recording the, the audio to a cassette. Um, that was like on the, on the speaker there, mm -hmm. I'd be calling into the radio station, making requests, uh, you know, seven, <laughs> seven years old. Oh my God. Stuff like that. And that's did, just did, what it was. After a while, did they know it was you that was calling? <laughs> I don't know how often I got through. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe they, they probably, now that I think about it, they're probably like, oh, it's this child. This, the child is again. back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. What, do you, what, were you, what do you think you were requesting? Like, did I you know, have a specific thing? Yeah, I would have been requesting like um, Mace, Mace and uh, someone else, maybe Maya had this um, collab song that was in the Rugrats movie. Um, <laughs> okay. 
and I was like obsessed with that song. <laughs> um, yeah, take me there. It, it was uh, it was Blackstreet, Mace, and and uh, and Maya. Yeah, and um, oh man, I was obsessed with that song. That was that came out in 1998, so I would have been about nine then. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Definitely that. I definitely remember calling and requesting that song. There, were, it's funny when you were mentioning the the like dance that sort of like early night that sort of like 90s dance craze that was happening like in the mid 90s or something um i was talking about that recently with a friend and because there's like it was just an unhinged time in the 90s where like remember there was like the cotton eyed joe yeah rednecks remix which is like insane yeah. um but i was reminded of a really deep cut one you might be familiar with this, you might not, but I encourage anyone who's listening to this to look this up because it, it might be the most unhinged moment of the 90s that I can remember. There is a, uh, have you heard of Jordy before? Do you know what Jordy is? I don't J-O. think so. Okay, so it's a French DJ guy, right? But the song that's a hit features his infant child singing and in the music video. It's called like uh Dor Dor de Tre Baby, Bebe, okay. or something like that. Um, I remember this video coming on. I don't know if you're gonna look it up right now, but it is absolutely oh, crazy. <laughs> but uh it's yeah, it's from 1992. So okay. yeah, everyone at some point today look up Jordy and watch this video because this was casual. This was just like a normal thing that happened. It's uh it's definitely worth investigating. Um, so when did you, or let me ask you this. Do you remember the first record that you ended up uh, buying with your own money? Like something that you like saved up maybe allowance for or something? You know, maybe it would have been, I, I know that the first, um, first music that I bought would have been a Boys to Men, Boys to Men's first album. And I bought Ooh. it on cassette. Um I don't know what it was. Like, I don't think there was a, a song or I know Motown Philly was on it, but I don't know that there was like a song on it that I really wanted. I think I was just familiar with that. I don't, I don't really know. I know I bought that. I don't know if I bought it with my own money or, sure. or what. Um, and then, and then I would buy a lot of CD singles because um, even if I was buying them with like allowance money or whatever, I could only buy like, edited versions um i couldn't buy like you know uncensored rap songs yeah, yeah so i was buying a lot of um a lot of cd singles because they were also cheap like maybe four dollars or something like that and sure. um i would buy like a lot of mace mace was my favorite uh i loved buster rhymes too and i would buy those um so it was either that that boys to men cassette or or one of those cd singles for sure that like new jack swing era was so special between like the boys between like boys and then bell biv devoe like another bad creation all of that stuff like uh not only were the vo were like all of the singing voices so perfect and easy on the ears and all of that but like the fact that it was like a lot of younger people too maybe not boys to men but like uh another bad creation and that sort of stuff like i feel like that really appealed to a lot of young kids uh almost specifically for that um to uh what was the first concert you went to? Oh boy, it would have been. Um, do you uh, do you have a, a distinction between like concert and show? You can. I mean, 
Not really. <laughs> I, I, I feel like it, it's, uh, I mean, it's, I, I guess like I can relate to that question where it's like, I think the first band that I ever saw live would have been from like a high school talent show versus going to an actual concert. But like, what are your, well, what are those two? What are they? Uh, well, it would have been like concert would have been um, either either Britney Spears or Janet Jackson. Incredible. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now, my sister swears that it's Janet Jackson. I have no no recollection of that. But she she tells me that that was the first. My sister is younger than me, too. So for her to. Oh, wow. Know this. I don't. You know, I was whatever. about to ask if you had like the cool older sister taking you <laughs> to shows. So that's she's incredible. younger. Wow. Yeah, she's three years younger than me. So it would have been like, she says that it was um, one of my aunts that took us. Um, if not, it, it was, it was Britney Spears. And then, um, and then I really didn't go to like concerts. We, we have a, a like a large, you know, live nation type venue here in Scranton um, where you get like bigger concert acts and stuff like that. That's where I would have uh, seen either Britney or Janet we're on a first name basis but um <laughs> but uh like the first show i went to would have been you know i was probably uh 11 or 12 i would have been in sixth or seventh grade and it was um at uh a church hall saint david's on uh kaiser avenue in scranton and um it would have been like an early early band featuring members of the menzingers probably featuring all of the menzingers except for greg um because tom see uh okay so tom is two years older than me tom from the menzingers he had a brother yeah. he has a brother who's my age so we became friends in school and then tom was just like you know when i was a, a kid i thought tom was just like the coolest you know and um and Tom was also like advanced for his for his age. Like even as a thirteen year old, I think he's probably he was probably smarter than a lot of like uh, twenty five year olds now. Um, yeah, for better or for worse. But so we would just go see whatever band Tom had at the time, which was always just like a rotating cast of people that he would assemble, and they would either play like the same original songs that he wrote or a collection of covers or something like that. So. That was like the first, I consider that like the first influential, like impactful thing that I went to, you know, be at a concert oh, awesome. or show or whatever. Yeah. I forget. Is he, was he in Bob and the Saggots? Was that him? Yes. So that yeah. was a little bit later. They were like, you know, that's what my life revolved around was, was going to see him and uh, Bob and the Saggots and, um, and that was essentially the Menzingers with um, a guy named Curtis in it instead of Greg playing second guitar. Uh, but yeah, there was that band. There was a band called Lester. There was um, they were a, like a ska punk band, more like a um, more like a no effects type, like like fast beats mixed yeah. in with with ska parts. And then um, yeah, I mean there was you know no shortage of local bands. Uh, yeah, so sure, so, but it all revolved around yeah Bob and the Saggots. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I had Tom on here uh, just before because we just went out with them a couple months ago. Uh, so we just did like, a, hey, let's like have you on the show to sort of promote this tour kind of a deal. And we got we got deep into the the lore of Bob and the Saggots. Uh, I'll have is, to listen to that episode. I don't know how I missed that one. I'll, I'll, oh, I'll definitely have to go find that one. Yeah, he's a legend. I, I fucking... It's funny, we have an inside joke in our band that we started back because the first time we toured with them was in 2011 on that. Uh, it was like us, Title Fight, 
Menzinger's dead end path tour. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and our inside joke forever was, um, who's your favorite zinger? Cause it's actually an impossible question. Cause like the, <laughs> all four of them are like equally wonderful. Yeah. Um, so that turned into like any tour that we did with any band that we like, we would just say, who's your favorite zinger when trying to figure out who your favorite member of a certain band is, you know, cause it mm-hmm. actually is impossible. Yeah, that's good. I think Eric is mine. I think I can, I can, I like Eric. <laughs> oh, he's so great. He's so great. Um, what was the first instrument you ever played? I think I, I think I had read that maybe you started playing guitar when you were 13 or something, but is that the first instrument? I would have played um, piano a little bit before that, uh, uh, taking piano lessons uh, around like you know, 10, 11, 12, um, just at the, um, you know, something my parents did to keep me busy. I, I was a, a, I did wrestling in um, like uh, middle school, you know, when I was like 11, 12. And I, I definitely remember going from wrestling practice to piano lessons um, for a short period. Actually, it was for like two years. And then after that, I switched to guitar because that's what that's what Tom played. And that's, you know, I saw what, what you had to do to be in a band. And it was uh, uh, playing guitar. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wrestling practice to piano practice. The true division, the true division of man right there. Yeah, I was like, uh, I was on the the varsity team. I was on the high school team too because they needed someone who was like uh, in the sixty five to seventy pound thing. So they, you know, I would never wrestle anyone. I would uh, just make weight and then I would go out and I would get my hand raised because no one else had, oh. no other schools had someone that that small. So oh wow, <laughs> so yeah. you're just uh, by uh, by default winner. Yeah, I had a great record, like a, <laughs> like a really good record. And and probably only wrestled, you know, four times. And those were four losses. So it wasn't like I was good at it or anything. Yeah, we don't count those. We no. don't count those. Yeah. Um, so did you retain the stuff that you learned on piano early on? I mean, as I'm talking to you, you got a keyboard next to you. I'm assuming you've been using that for Wikipedia for a while. Um, did Yeah, did you retain what you learned then? Uh the theory of it yes chords and and things like that and and scales and keys not the playing um the playing i'm trying to relearn because i i did abandon it for a while but but definitely like the the foundational aspects of of uh playing an instrument got it so what was your first guitar oh it would have been like uh it was a yamaha it, my parents bought it for me at like a uh uh pawn shop or something like that sure it's a red it's just a red <laughs> Yamaha guitar and it looked like an electric guitar. And that's all I really remember about it. But the, yeah, that would have been the first one that I had. Fair enough. Did you end up uh, taking any lessons or anything or were you like self-taught? Yeah, I, t- I took lessons uh, from a guy named Jim Manley and, uh, and he, um, he, I would just go to his house on, on Saturday mornings and he would, um, he would, uh, he would pick a song and then he would have me, um, Every week he would he would ask me for a song that I wanted to learn and then he would tab it out for me and then we'd we'd practice it the next week or something like that. So uh and that was like super helpful because I would take the the written handwritten tabs home and then um learn how to play like all these rancid and leftover crack songs. So oh, that's <laughs> it worked out pretty well. Yeah. That's awesome. I feel like it's such a blessing to have a teacher who is willing to teach you the things that you actually want to learn you know so often you hear of like well i had this guitar teacher who wanted to teach me like 
these, you know, really boring old timey songs or like, you know, if the kid is wanting to learn songs to or wanting to play guitar to like learn Slipknot songs, but the teachers tried to teach them Rolling Stone songs like it's just not going to work, you know? Yeah, yeah, of course. I also could never be a teacher. I don't have the patience for it. So, uh, you know, I, I can appreciate anyone who who takes the time to do it because it must be torturous you know <laughs> yeah. Yeah, i can't i can't imagine i, can't imagine. I really yeah. can it has to be awful um what was the uh so what was the first band you ever did uh it would have been a band called cosmos k-o-s-m-o-s um, okay i i don't know the name comes from a uh zeno saga i believe um uh, like a character in the, the video game Xenosaga um, that my friend Joe came up with. Joe was not in the band. It was me. It was a ska, ska punk band. Again, you know, Bob and the Saggots were, were everything to, to yeah. me as, a, as a, an 11 and 12-year-old. So uh, it was me. It was uh, Tom's younger brother, Mike, who, who played drums. Um, this kid Jordan, whose whose older brother was in a, a bit that uh, band Lester, and then um, uh, Leo, uh, our friend Leo joined later. Leo um, went on to sing for uh, Captain We're Sinking. Okay. Um, and then towards the end of the band, Greg from the Menzingers joined as our singer. Oh, so, so that was yeah, that was that was my first band. Wow. Yeah, the ties really do go go back uh, yeah. far it's yeah. awesome yeah that's awesome that's got to be like i mean i don't know i don't know how often you do any sort of reflecting like that but like i mean how cool is it that all these years later like both of you are you know household names in in this world that we've all been a part of for a long time you know like what a cool thing it's it's really nuts it's it's i think about it all the time i think about of all the people like all the bands from scranton that were you know my friends and like people in our orbit and stuff that have gotten signed to, to independent labels or things like that. You know, it's the, the percent of it is high. If you look at run for covers release history, there's a lot of, of Scranton acts on there that, that yeah. were people I went to high school with. Man. Like, I mean, I remember when Touche was really kind of, really starting and touring and meeting a lot of people from Pennsylvania. I just always remember thinking like, what is in the water there? We're like, yeah, all of our, all of these people that we were becoming friends with and touring with and everything. I mean, we always historically felt so lonely on the West coast. Cause like we didn't have anybody out here, mm. you know, and we'd have to travel across the country to find all the bands that we were, you know, coming mm. up with, whether it was balance title fight, like all these bands that were just like, strictly out of pennsylvania we were just like what the hell i mean even when we did um the shed record release show we were the only band not from pennsylvania <laughs> on that show we felt so like uh, we almost felt like apologetic playing that show we're like all right we're just gonna play 20 minutes and get out of here sorry you know it's mm -hmm. just like i remember shane from the from title fight doing the nicest thing such a, like an olive branch gesture in front of the audience because when we played it was like we could have the horseshoe. The room was like, you know, mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. the most filled. And then as soon as we started, Shane stage dove for awesome. us. And I was like, that is the, like, he knows what he was doing. And that mm -hmm. opened that, like made people come in and watch. it was just like such a nice olive branch move, you know? Yeah. 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 True. I, true. I real one. Shane. He is. He really is. Um, 
what about uh what was the first show that you ever played uh would have been um uh it would have been a um like a vfw or something like that uh in a town called hamlin which is where greg from the menzingers is from he, okay. he he put the show on um it was his band the cretans who were um just like a ramones type band but Sick. but with greg's like you know his growly i feel like he toned down his growl recently yeah. but um but early on like he had this incredible growl you still hear it sometimes yeah um but it was that it was like a Ramones type band that he was in, uh, called the Cretans, and uh, so it would have been them and and uh, and Cosmos, and uh, I think his brother Bobby also had a band. You know, they they had a, this weird Ramones parody band that would play sometimes too. It was Greg and and Bobby. Um, Bobby also played in Captain Wears Sinking. Okay. Um, and they would just do. Yeah, like Ramones parody songs, and I kind of remember them playing it too. But uh, the, I don't know if that was the same show or, or one right around that time. But it would okay, have, it would have been there. Yeah. Wow. What? And uh, did you play? Were you playing guitar and singing? Yes, I was. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, do you have any recollection of like how it felt that first time? Like, were you nervous? Were you excited? Like, I was definitely did, nervous. Did you face the crowd? Yeah, but I, well, I probably had my head down, you know, I was probably, um, using the guitar as like a, an anchor or something like that, or crutch, I should say, sure, um, just to, to not make eye contact, but no, I remember it being cool. And I remember being like really nervous about the fact that there was like, you know, like Tom May was there and, and Greg was there. I thought Greg was, when I first met Greg, I thought he was like the coolest guy you know (laughs) yeah um and you know like all of these like older older kids were there so yeah i was super nervous but uh that's really all i remember i don't remember like i i remember the angle that we were at i remember what the room looked like i have no recollection of how the set went um (laughs) which makes me believe that it probably wasn't that great but couldn't have been so bad that i that i you know that it's like trauma. Yeah, that I that I didn't want to play any more shows or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's something so sweet about like how you end up kind of creating your own local legends. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It's like obviously there's much more famous people in the world than these guys that are in the local scene, but like to you, they're so important. And I think that's something that I think a lot of people experience that, you know, like there's local bands in your scene that are so important to you when you're growing up or whatever. And then you know, getting to even play with them the first time is always such mm-hmm. an exciting, thrilling thing. Um, <clears throat> what uh, what was your first time recording? Like, did Cosmos uh, put out any re- any albums or demos yeah, we, or what? We we put out uh, two demos. One okay. was um, one was an eight song demo that we did. Um, we recorded it. Uh, some of it at uh. Mike and Mike and Tommy's house in their basement. And then it was finished up at our, our bass player's house. His dad bought um, like a digital eight track uh, recording thing. And his dad was so mean. He, he was, he was, uh, he was uh, just a, just a, a really mean guy. And he was, he was uh, determined to be the only person that could use the device. So you'd have to record in front of him and you'd have to do your vocals in front of him and he would oh, like so intimidating yeah he would like put you down if you messed up or 
just tell oh. you that it was it was rough it was really bad oh. um but that was the first so we did an eight song eight song uh cd demo or whatever and we just sold them to our friends and, and stuff like that you know yeah, yeah 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 so how long did that band actually last like how long how long did did uh did you guys do that thing it would have been like uh three or four years because I was in about seventh grade when it started. And then when Leo Vernetti joined, it was, uh, that was in high school and and it was, it was in high school where, where me and Leo would just, we would burn the CDs and then just go into school the next day. And it was such a novel thing for people to be like, Hey, I have this band and we have a CD and you can buy it for $5 or something like that. So we sold so many of them. Like, yeah an insane amount of <laughs> did you did you actually did you pay to like get them genuinely manufactured no. they, like burn cds no, they were burned yeah 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 they yeah, were burned. yeah uh, um yeah they were they were burned with photocopy covers and then and then it would have been shortly after that um that that the band went i don't know i don't really know what happened i, I you know greg joined and and we recorded um a couple songs with greg and then um, I quit, as I'm uh, at, known to do, and uh, <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, and then and then I think the band just stopped. Yeah, I was curious if once Greg joined, like what the vocal duty would have been. Like, did he just take over singing? Yeah, just singing. No, he wasn't playing guitar. He was just singing. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, how soon? Well, let me ask you this: Was there any bands that you did between that and then Tiger's Jaw starting? There was just one, a band called the Triphones, which was me and just uh, two two of my other friends. That would have been like eighth grade. Uh, yeah, no, it would have been actually a little bit later than that. I would have been like fifteen or something like that. Just lasted a year. It was um, that's when I was like getting into uh, indie rock, which at the time just meant Bright Eyes. That, Fuck yeah. That's <laughs> all it meant, really. <laughs> yeah. Know? So it was a Bright Eyes inspired project, and then and then um. I quit that and uh, and then started Tiger's show. With that band, let me ask you, was it like, was it very acoustic-y, like singer-songwriter-y type stuff? Or was it full band, sort of that that era of Bright Eyes? It was full band, but I didn't know what I was... This is a, a, a problem that I think I've only solved recently in my music career, where I think that I'm making a certain type of music until we record it. And then I realize I am nowhere close to that. Right. So I thought that I, if you asked me when I was practicing those songs with, with the triphones, what does this sound like? I would tell you this sounds like bright eyes. Really. It just, um, it, it, that just, it really just meant that I would use a a clean guitar rather than a distorted guitar. And, and that was it. (laughs) (laughs) fair it was not good yeah it was not a good band fair enough uh so then when i guess you know when when what what was the motivator then when you and ben started tiger's jaw like what did you two had you two been friends for a while or was it a new friendship it was a new friendship i played an acoustic show um all right so right around this time is when i when i found my next set of old heads like you know, Tom was Tom and, and, and Greg and Jeremy, I mean, Greg's the same age as me, but like Tom and and the dude Jeremy were, were like my original, you know, local legends. And then I kind of became aware of a, a, a slightly older, um, indie rock 
scene that was happening in Scranton. Um, there's two bands specifically, uh, the Swims and OK Patty. Um, and they were just awesome. Uh, actually awesome. Like not awesome in the way that you, you know, when you're a child, you, you, you are impressed by anyone playing a guitar to this day. They, they are awesome. Um, and I wanted to do something like that. I thought that's what the triphones was going to be. I'm, I have control issues though. I need to be, I need to have total control over everything. And if it, if I don't, I start to lose interest. Right. So I, I started booking, um, I started trying to get like acoustic shows, uh, and I finally got one, um, at the, the basement of this art gallery and Ben came to it. Ben, uh, I think Ben said he had met me at a, a swims show or one of those indie rock shows briefly, or at least we saw each other there. And then he came to that acoustic show and he just said, um, you know, if you ever need a, a drummer for those songs, let me know. And that's, that's how it started with, with me on guitar and Ben on drums. Oh, interesting. Uh -huh. Interesting. Okay. Um, and then how soon after did you guys record that belongs to the dead release? Cause that's just the two of you, right? Yeah, you know, I, I'm not really sure of the timeline there because we had a bassist and a um, keyboard player during that, uh, before Belongs to the Dead, and, and that only lasted a couple of months. I think um, I think it was another issue where, like, the, they wanted to write songs and they were coming to practice with songs, and I was like, listen, I kind of, you know, I kind of <laughs> want to do this on my own, and and... And they just weren't what we were going for, you know? Um, yeah. So there was like a soft split. They kind of lost interest. And we told them we were, me and you know, Ben and I were just going to kind of give it a break for a little bit. In the meantime, me and Ben just kept playing songs that I wrote. Ben started writing songs. And then we recorded uh, Belongs to the Dead. Um, maybe a couple months after, maybe six or seven months after after we started playing together. Do you, what do you think it was that, that Ben writing songs made you comfortable to like have him be a part of it too? You know what I'm saying? Cause that, cause mm -hmm. obviously you two split that duty, um, famously and for someone who you're saying, you know, has control issues and things like that, obviously you did end up leaving the band at some point. Um, but you know, for a while there, it seemed like it was a, it, it did work out where you were cool with him doing half the songs. Yeah, I think it was just a, a trust in Ben, um, where Ben is one of those people who's good at anything he sets his mind to. If he decides that he wants to be good at something, he's he's going to excel in it. And I think I just knew that early on. I could see even the way he would switch from drums to guitar to bass, whatever. He was, he was super talented, and, and I just... Um, I think it was just that it was just like, how can I not trust this guy? You know? Um, sure. So I think, I think that's what it was. Um, just, I, I don't know where this is in the timeline, but a funny aside here where I know the two of you at one point were original members of bad seed. Yeah. <laughs> how yeah. is this this time? Or is that a little later on? Might've been a little bit later, but, but close. I mean, within a, within a year or so. Yeah. We, we were original members of a lot of bands that we were kicked out of. I don't, I don't know if you knew this, but 
Is there were, any other notable ones? Uh, Captain, we're sinking. We were okay. original members, and then uh, and then they they did what what we did to to um, our bassist and, and keyboard player, and we just kind of it was a soft split there. Yeah. Um. So we got the boot from that. We were in a band called the Green Chair, which was uh uh an older older guys who ran a local label. They put out um they put out self, the Tiger's Jaw self titled originally. Okay. Uh, pr- prison jazz records. Um, we were in a band with with those guys that we got kicked out of, and then uh, Bad Seed, which uh, we also got kicked out of. Um, <laughs> uh, if it's maybe lost on anyone who's listening, Bad Seed was like a kind of a short lived hardcore band featuring members of uh, of Title Fight as well. Uh, or, but uh, but yeah, I remember. I think when I had Ben on the show early on we talked about that for a minute it seemed like yeah. a pretty funny story where like all of a sudden you guys just weren't on the recording or something like yeah. that is that what it was <laughs> that's, that's what it was yeah <laughs> it was just a uh, new when the when the demo actually came out it was just new recordings with us not on that's that's i love the that's a very you know what's funny is that's a very um i would say that's a very la way of handling things yeah <laughs> um we're we're most known here for non-conflict and uh um yeah uh of, of avoiding conflict we'll just say that doing something without actually telling somebody that's that's a very la thing to do um i wanted to ask with uh for first recording experiences obviously you talked about uh the uh, cosmos recording with with uh tom and that's seemingly maybe like more of like a if i'm correct me if i'm wrong but maybe sort of like a basement sort of environment yes. for recording was recording the self-titled record with joe loftus like was that your first time at like a recording studio yeah yeah what was that like for you it was fine you know looking back on it um i mean it was it was totally fine it was it was kind of a nothing experience in the sense where we just went in there was no discussion as to like what this is going to sound like anything any production discussion anything like that um and i remember kind of being confused about that like thinking how does he know what we want this to sound like it turns out like we don't really we didn't really have a say like it just it, it uh you know like it when just, it came to like mixing and things like that yeah or like yeah like how their guitars or drums or vocals would sound especially vocals you know we had no say over that that, uh, that so that album is like auto-tuned to death and like auto-corrected to death you hear it you hear it in the harmonies like they're too perfect they're too locked in and i just didn't know that that was something where we could be like hey let's like tone that down a little bit you know what i mean right i didn't think anything of it and i was like well this is what going to a studio sounds like and this is why i prefer like recording at home you know because oh, it's it's just not it's yeah it's not it for me um but we got better you know it got once we left joe loftus's studio and and went to other places i felt more comfortable with the with the process was also, yo, sorry please. just more comfortable with um uh with like speaking up in the studio and True. being like you know, this is what I want it to sound like. These are the references I'm coming in with because I can't blame Joe Loftus for, for having that record sound the way it does when we gave him nothing in the way of direction or whatever, you know? Right. And from an outside perspective, just looking at that 
situation was um correct me if i'm wrong is joe loft is just like a dude who had a studio within that yes. area that people would just go to like yes. not connected to the scene right probably right. just like a guy because i saw cold world had recorded there like title fighter recorded there seems like because i think a lot of a lot of people in a lot of suburbs um you find out about the place that has a studio and likely it's affordable enough for you at that age so you just mm -hmm. go there without yep. <laughs> having any sort of scene connection okay fair all right yeah. then my assumption was correct a hundred percent yeah okay fair 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 were you guys all um okay well actually let me phrase this how immediate did the response of that record like how how immediate was the response to that record because obviously that's like a very beloved record as time went on um but did you guys feel the love for it pretty quickly i don't think so not particularly we were um up until that point, we were releasing songs on MySpace, like singles, um, and we were doing that at home, like recording them at home and stuff like that. So it was immediate. Like there was, it was, we could just do it so quick. I would write a song, record it, it's up on MySpace next day, right? Yeah. Especially when it was me and Ben. That almost um, feels like how things are now. Yes, you know, it's like yes, a fun return exactly. to form. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but I don't think that the, I don't really remember there being like any sort of big reception to it. I remember prison jazz who's, who's the, who was the label who put that out originally being pretty happy with it, with the, the response to it and stuff like that. Um, but aside from that, no, I, I don't really remember. It wasn't like a, uh, life-changing thing where you know the week after it came out we were getting all these bookings or anything like that it sure. wasn't like that yeah it did because i mean i remember the like i feel lucky enough to even have it but i have like the original press of that when it was on like photo booth records like the, the yeah. lp of that um and then you know ma making the move to run for cover or whatever but yeah it just you know i feel like once i caught wind of the band it was just such a huge takeoff where just like everybody was so obsessed with it. And I was sadly, you know, I was, and I don't think we was, maybe it was the year we played. Yeah, it was, it was. Yeah. We played sound and fury the year you guys ended up having to play that house oh, show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> By the time I made it to the house show, I, you know, I didn't even, I heard you guys, you know, I couldn't even make it into the backyard. It was so crazy. Um, I feel like that's kind of fun to talk about for a second. What, what do you, what was your recollection of that experience? Like, how did that feel for you? Um, that was a weird day. I wasn't like really on board with sound and fury at the time. I see, I didn't, even though I grew up in Scranton and Wilkes-Barre was, was 20 minutes away. I was so unfamiliar with the hardcore scene or anything like that. I had to have title fight explain that I was familiar with title fight, but not the, you know, not cold world or, or any bands like that. Yeah. Um, and then it was like, we were playing with title fight. We were touring with them and, and everything. So um, my eyes kind of got open up to it, but I was, I was uh, as a teenager in, a, in my early twenties, I, I was a contrarian and I, I hated any sort of uh, association, you know, the title fight Tiger's Jaws connection to the hardcore scene and the pop punk scene and stuff came through title fight. That's not music that I listened to um, at the time. So I was like just resistant to it, you know, it's fair. and I, and I, I just didn't, um, it just wasn't for me. However, when we played sound and fury, that's 
kind of went, well, didn't play Sound and Fury, but when we went to Sound and Fury, I should say, my, my eyes were opened up to like, okay, there is, this is not just like, there's more to it than music and there's, you know, a community element and there's a fashion element. That was like a whole thing to me where I was like, wow, all these people dress in, they dress similar to one another in a way that I've never seen before. <laughs> like, what is this? And I thought that was awesome. Um, and whatever. All right. So when it, I just was, yeah, I was kind of resistant to it. Alex Russin, um, for some reason we stayed in cold world's hotel that night. Um, or at least like Alex yeah. Rustin and, and other people. Yeah. Cause I think Dan was there too. And, um, we stayed with them the night before and then they took us to sound and fury. It was like, it was like they chaperoned us and yeah. I just hung out with Alex all day and it was, um, like smoking weed and stuff. I was the only person in Tiger's jaw who smoked weed. So Alex like took me under his wing and, <laughs> and that was like really fun for me. And like, I got to meet. Was that your you first know, time I'm, in California? First time in California. First time meeting so many people like, uh, Lee from, uh, trash talk and, and stuff like that. And, just like, you know, whatever. Um, that was awesome. That element of it was awesome. I was still like, this is not where Tiger's Shaw belongs. This isn't real. I know that we're the outliers here. Um, and I don't naturally like that feeling. I grew to like it, but at the time I did not like it. And uh, whatever. And then we were, yeah, setting up setting up to play. And uh, and then it got shut down. The show, so the after show at that that house was, a lot of fun. I, I don't really remember too much of it, but I remember it being really hot. And I think we used um, foundations gear oh. for that. Yeah, I or maybe it could have even been Brace Wars because remember because remember Brace War also I think got off a couple songs before Police shut it down. That sounds about right. Then maybe it was Brace War. Yeah. Yeah. Again, just to keep people, you know, the, in case you haven't heard the lore, those who are listening. So yeah, like the, the year the Tiger Jaw was going to play Sound of Fury, uh, a gentleman rode a motorcycle into the venue and got the entire festival shut down. And then Hardcore does what Hardcore does. They scrambled. They found a house to play. Everybody sort of caravanned to this to this backyard. And it felt like the entire festival showed up to see you guys or to see the show, you know, to see whatever. But um, I guess just putting myself in your shoes, I could only imagine, I don't know if you were taking it in at all, but like, you know, you're talking about how you felt like an outlier on the show. And I do think that there's something special about being the sonic, the sonic difference on a festival like that. You know, I think that it's a nice um, cleanser for a lot of people who are just watching a lot of like breakdown after breakdown after breakdown. And then all of a sudden you get this like change of sonic tone. Um but I mean, I remembered the sound of so many people singing along to those songs from the, you know, I could, like I said, I couldn't even make it into the backyard, but just like standing in the front yard and hearing so many people sing along, like I was just thinking that had to have been a pretty overwhelming feeling for a band for the first time in California. Yeah, it sounds like it must have been. I don't <laughs> I don't really have any any recollection of that, but well, I I'm I'll, retelling you my version of it. So so maybe it could become your version now, I guess. Yeah. I yeah, everyone was singing and it was a lot of people. No, I have no recollection of that <laughs> at all. 
Okay, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, you're fine. Um, so uh, last thing I want to get into with uh, with Tiger Shot before we start about start talking about Wikiface stuff uh, is um, I thought it was interesting that you guys uh, went to Vince Ratty after uh, after that record to do Two Worlds and also the, the Balance and Composure split. Was that sort of like an elevated version of the Joe Loftus thing where he's another local-ish guy? who had probably done a lot of records that you guys were familiar with. Was that the motivation there? I think it was, I think it was like, okay, well, Bounce and Composure recorded there the same way with Joe Loftus title fight recorded here. The same way yeah. with Will Yip uh, title fight recorded here. Yeah. And Bounce and Composure. Uh, it was that, you know, um, I don't really remember like having too much say in that, but I really did enjoy recording with Vince and I felt like, um, uh, Vince, uh, you know, Vince, at least Vince, like, played in an underground band and kind of got that, you know, he 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 understood that aspect of it. So I, I really enjoyed recording with him the, the couple of times that we did. Yeah, I mean, talking about how you, your experiences with uh, recording with Joe Loftus, like, not feeling like um, you had any real say in the situation, did that sort of give you a sort of... Um, armor is a bad term uh, i was gonna say just like a co confidence is a bad term like sort of the wherewithal to come into that recording session knowing what you wanted to say you know being like this is how we have to do this record because this is what happened the last time a little bit more i still didn't do it as much as i as i would have liked but i don't have when i listened to um i think we did two worlds there and we did yeah that bouncing composure split and i think also some other like random one-off things like seven like inches singles. maybe or something yeah. yeah i i just didn't have that same feeling that this is getting away from me this the same way where we're um when we recorded self-titled it wasn't until you know uh, uh, maybe years later where i was like wow that really got away from us there like there's no way we wanted it to sound like this it just came out like that at least yeah. with vince I, you know, just hearing it in the studio, I was like, well, this sounds way better than 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 the other stuff. So, yeah. Fair enough. Fair. Um, you know, so you you as well as some other members of the band left uh, house. What I don't know if I know this was the plan in place when you were recording Charmer or was it soon after? Yeah, it was uh, it was, <laughs> yeah the plan was in place. There was. Uh... <laughs> yeah. yeah, we had the time book. And, uh, um, I remember, uh, I remember knowing when I was going to quit. I remember, well, I remember the day I decided, and I think it was, um, we were playing with, uh, believe it would have been balance and composure at union transfer. Maybe, maybe title fight was playing that too, but I remember being on the way to that show and just being like, I, I don't want to do this anymore for whatever reason, right? It's just right. later I, I came to realize it. But at the time, I was just like, this is the first time where I'm going to a show and I realized I, I just, don't, my heart's not in it. So I had the day picked out where I was going to quit and it was like our last scheduled show um, uh, before we were going to record Charmer. And I was like, well, I, I, you know, I'll offer to record Charmer, stuff like that, but I'm going to quit. And then the night before... Dennis called me and he said, just so you know, me and Pat are quitting tomorrow night. And I was like, 
me too. <laughs> uh, you know, totally yeah. separate, totally separate. Just by um, chance. Wow. Just by chance. And I think it was just, it was just time for, yeah. for us to, to move on, you know, um, Again, it kind of it just felt like it was it was getting away from me a little bit, and I'm not. Um, I think I just realized that I, my interest in music, um, I just, I feel more comfortable having full control. And 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 if the failures, if it does fail, it's on me, and I'm fine with that. Um, but I, you know, whatever. It, it, you know, we don't have to get into the. There's a million reasons. You know, I think yeah. about new reasons every day. I think about reasons where I'm like, oh, yeah, that means like that is how I was feeling then. And I didn't even realize it at the time, you know, and yeah. it's not like I hope it's not like revisionist history or something like that, where every five years a new story comes out about why I quit the band. But I just do realize stuff even now, you know, 10 years later. Um, but yeah, so so I quit. And then uh, Pat and Dennis quit. I actually think I chickened out and I had uh, I had Dennis tell ben and brianna i was there but i had dennis deliver the news that all three of us were leaving. i mean it's a tough thing i mean that's a tough conversation all, no matter yeah. what you know like that's that's yeah. really hard because these are people you care about you know yes. and you you don't want to hurt those friendships and things like that i gotta ask though was recording that record then was it like an uncomfortable environment or was it or was it okay? i was there for one day I went, no I was, I, I, yeah, I was there for one day. I also had, I, I was still working at the time and I had to, uh, like a conference at, for work. Um, and I got held up there and I was, uh, like a day or two late coming back from Florida. So two of the days that I had scheduled were, were, had to be repurposed. Ben played, uh, some of my guitar parts. And then when I went, uh, I just did all of my vocals and like a few lead guitar parts that I had to record uh in one day and i was wow. really sick too i had like a really bad cold oh no uh yeah and that was <laughs> that was it so it was not like a pleasant none of the experience was was pleasant whatsoever but uh, you know yeah i got to meet will and stuff like that and and, and me and will ended up working together later so i was gonna yeah, ask that, that part I, was good i don't know if i knew that i was i wanted to ask if you ended up working with what have you worked on was it the last record suffer on? was that yeah the... suffer on yeah oh, okay will, that's right i did that with will Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. And then the three of you are all on pay for playing together. Pay for yeah. pay for pain together. Yeah. Yeah. The three of Yeah. How was, how was coming together? Was that your first time making music with them since Tiger's Jaw? Yeah. We started that um, in like 2016 or 2017, but we would get together like once a year or something like that. Or um, Dennis lives in New York or did at the time he, he just moved back here but um it was just you know uh, we just wanted to hang out and 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 play together at in more of like a low stakes environment yeah um so we yeah that that's how we we started um playing together and then you know the the problem with pay for pain is that we don't have a Ben or brianna to um <laughs> to 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 uh, to do the business work <laughs> yes yeah to, to do the business work and also make decisions when the three of us can't make a decision you know uh -huh. we always in tiger's jaw be it a tour offer or or something like that 
you would never get an answer out of me, Pat or Dennis. Right. So <laughs> it would be, it would be Ben or Brianna being like, yes, we are doing this or no, we are not doing this. And then right. we could be like, all right, well, it was Ben's call. Right. It wasn't our call. It was yeah, Ben's yeah, call. Yeah. Just put it on him. <laughs> now it's like, you know, you don't have anyone like that. I, I can't be that person. Pat and Dennis can't be that person. There's not, we're not naturally those people. So it's, it's uh, <laughs> not much I, gets done, you know? Right, right, right. Whereas like with Wicca phase, it's like, it's your thing. So whether you, you yeah. have to answer something or else it's nothing's going to happen, but it's that's funny. right. I always make a, you can adopt this how you, if you want, but I always call those people, the ambassadors to normal yeah. where <laughs> every band needs at least one, you know, every band yeah. needs the one person that you can rely on. And, it's always shocking when the ambassador gets kicked out or leaves the band. Cause then I'm like, Oh, that band's fucked. Like, yeah. how, like that band needed that person. Holy shit. Well, that's um, how I knew Tiger show would, would, would survive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause it, it wasn't, you know, I was always in the middle. I was always, it was always Pat and Dennis, you know, in one corner and, and not in one corner, but, but on yeah, yeah, one yeah. side of the spectrum and Ben and Brianna on the other. And I could, you know, go you were the glue. Well, I think I was more like a, a windmill that would just kind of go in whatever direction benefited me the most, you know, <laughs> selfishly. Honest. Wow. And uh, I mean, I, I do, I really think I so. It. You know, there was times when it was, you know, whatever. There's yeah. times when I uh, saw way more eye to eye with, with Pat and Dennis. Normally that was on the music side, like the actual uh, art of it. Yeah. Um, and then when it came to like playing the game of of being a successful musical act, Pat and Dennis were always uh they're always just resistant to it because you know sometimes you have to do stuff that's uncomfortable or whatever it doesn't seem natural or or whatever but you you need it to to move, keep the band going and stuff like that and I I understood that with when Ben and Brianna would push for those types of things you know so uh yeah you know it wasn't just for my benefit it was, uh, i did what i thought was was good for the the benefit of the band now pay for pain is just like you know what you're not going to get an answer out of any of us about anything because neither we don't want to step on each other's toes and we also don't want the accountability of having to make a decision hey there do you need to get some merch printed my incredible sponsors over at anchorfish printing has a great deal going on right now you can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. Uh, when it came to when Wicca Phase was starting, I think I read that you were already starting to make those songs uh, towards the end of Tiger's Jaw. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And how how soon did you play your, like, what was the first Wicca Phase show? Yeah, um, It was, I believe it was an after show, uh, like a Tiger's Jaw after show. We played a college show at, at one of the SUNY campuses. Okay. And then someone had a show like in their dorm and it was me doing Wicked stuff and John Simmons. Oh, uh, interesting. And he played acoustic. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. How, how was your first experience doing it by yourself? Was it like scary? Was it? Yeah, it was pretty like, scary. It yeah. was pretty scary. I didn't, I just didn't really know how to, how to, um, I would just bring my 
my four track or eight track recorder that I would record on, I would just keep the the song saved, like the files saved on there and then just kind of like adjust the sliders and stuff and then sing with the microphone. Um, it wasn't like backing tracks or anything like that. It was just like the actual, <laughs> the actual files. Um, oh my God. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it, it obviously wasn't, it was confusing to some people, a lot of people at the time. And that was, there was a thrill in that um because you know at that time i was i I mentally kind of on my way out of tiger's jaw anyway and i I liked the idea of of being a a contrary a contrarian and also you know like uh um just you know someone who could stir stir the pot a little bit right Right. and and do something weird and, and selfish and uh so that's like what my first couple of shows were like was just shocking people you know i didn't even have the wikipedia's name yet I, w- I was going by my real name so people probably thought they were just gonna see an acoustic set or something oh wow and then you yeah. bombard them with with yes. this like it because it, when it first started what what were you pulling from because you know you're sort of looked at as one of the ambassadors to the sound that ended up really kind of growing and becoming like a pretty worldwide thing um but when it was starting, what were you pulling from? Like, what were you going for? Did you have an idea in mind? Um, a little bit. I I was really into um, uh, of Montreal uh, at the time, and I, I yeah, that was um, that that was was uh, an inspiration. Um, Bell and Sebastian uh, has this song called uh, Electro- uh, Electronic, Electronic Renaissance. Renaissance. Yes, Oof, that song love that that song was like okay this is i'm gonna do this i'm just gonna make a whole project like this so it was that and it, and it was just um i just wanted uh like lo-fi electronic music that i could bring back that that immediacy of 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 recording writing recording releasing you know that that was really the guide rather than any anything sonically um and the, the you know the best way to do that at the time that that I knew of was just making songs on keyboards with GarageBand loops and and stuff like that. Uh, I watched an interview that you did where someone asked about um, people you'd like to collaborate with, and you mentioned uh, Wes for Cold Cave, and yeah. uh, and how he had been an influence. And it's interesting because. Uh, I can't remember if it was an interview or some, or a conversation I had had with him at one point, but I remember him also referencing electronic Renaissance as oh, one really? of the, as one of his biggest influences for wanting to do Cold Cave. Wow! I should ask him if he wants to record a cover of it. Oh, you should. You should. Yeah. He did a Bell and Sebastian remix. Oh, he did. I didn't see it coming. It was on this random twelve inch for Come On Sister. Weird, but I yeah, I know for him that was like one of those things that he just like was so heavily influenced by. Cause that song is so interesting because it's like, it doesn't sound like anything else on, on Tiger no. at all. No. It, like, it seems like one of them fought for having that on the record. You know <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Yeah. Great I wish, song. I wish I would have done more like that. Me too. Um, and uh, so how soon after you started doing this project, did you start uh, finding people to collaborate with was it like pretty soon after uh yeah maybe like a year uh 
within the first year, I was because I was working that office job. Um, I was on the internet all the time. I was on Tumblr all the time, and Tumblr was a, a just a major part of like early Wicca phase, right? It's where I had I I just started meeting people. I started kind of getting a sense of like what internet what was like uh cool in internet culture and stuff like that and um what what i kept seeing was um people reposting beats um see i was also really into witch house at the time well i was into like salem um and like anything adjacent to that right and uh and so was tumblr at large um, (laughs) yeah and pitchfork yeah, yeah, and Pitchfork and uh and Coldheart, uh, who's in Goth Boy Click now, was was just a a producer at the time, and he was releasing maybe once a month. He would release uh, a new album on Bandcamp full of beats, and people would just post them on on uh, Tumblr and stuff like that. So uh, I reached out to him. He was a Tiger Straw fan, and then he started sending me beats, and that was it. And then it was like. Um, okay, wow, like now someone who knows it was similar to when Ben and I started working together, where it was like, okay, now here's someone who understands the the music aspect of it and can create full sounds and full instrumentals, which wasn't really my strength at the time, and I can just write lyrics over it, so that's all I really that, that's like my primary interest in music and uh and then it just took off from there, then I was just finding any producers that I could and meeting people through cold hard. And there was, you know, then people started sending me beats and I was also leasing a lot of beats at the time or uh, they call it leasing, which is, you know, you, you pay for it. um, But, but other people could also pay for it and use the same beat. You know, it's not exclusive to to you. So you could pay $25 to lease a beat or you can pay $500 to buy it. And then no one else can use it, you know? And um, I was leasing a lot of beats uh, just from like internet producers and, you know, chief key producers and, and whatever. Um, yeah. I was yeah. curious. I, I wanted to ask like how, uh, how you went about making, so did you end up not making a ton of beats for yourself? Was it always like you leasing beats? Early on, early on, I did uh, the whole time I, I, I kept making beats and trying to make beats. I, I wasn't that great at it. Norm the formula that it, still kind of exists to this day is I'll do the rough sketch of the beat or a demo or something like that, and then send it off to a producer who knows like what they're doing um, to, to clean it up or, or whatever, you know, just pick out like where, where it's going wrong. Um, and that's what I was doing too. I was going to the studio in New York, a producer named steel tipped dove um, had a studio there and I would go there. I would drive there um maybe twice a month after work uh and from like 7 to 11 just work on stuff in his studio give him the stems or replay the synths and stuff like that and he would do the drums and then I'd record vocals there and then drive back home um so I did that uh and then yeah the rest of it was just like getting beats from people either leasing them or or people just emailing me beats and stuff as t- as the project went on and and it started to pick up steam and stuff like that like did you feel like you did you know you were doing something original and kind of like in your own lane or did you feel like it's back you know you talked about early on um with the the band after cosmos where 
to you, you thought you were doing this one thing, but then, you know, obviously it wasn't. So like, was it a similar thing with Wikiphase where like to you, you were doing this one thing, but to other people, it was something else. I think with Wikiphase, I, 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 um, I don't think it got away from me or anything like that. I, I think I knew what I was doing. It, it wasn't, um, I also kind of felt like it wasn't as original as sometimes I get credit for. I feel like um, there's an artist named Bones who's really popular, and he was also doing the same. There's something similar, maybe not as much singing or, or it was more rap based, but it was it was similar in the beat selection approach and the aesthetics of it and everything like that. Um, you know, I I just kind of put my own spin on it where I was like, well, I'm not going to rap, right? Like I'll, maybe it's, it's a little bit more rap adjacent than Tiger's jaw was, but that's, um, but largely, yeah, I think like I was doing what I was trying to do and it didn't always come out exactly the way I wanted it to, but, um, it was closer than, you know, going and recording the first Tiger's jaw self-titled where you really have no control over it, you know? Yeah. I wanted to ask, do you feel like you pretty immediately felt a fundamental difference record or releasing music through this project versus doing like a full band thing? Yeah, it, 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 um, like less pressure, obviously, like between like for like having to, you know, put on the whole uh, dog and pony show for like releasing a record where you have to like build all this content, you have to do all this sort of stuff. And then there's like the pressure of the, how that record is going to do versus how you're releasing music. Like whenever you just get inspired with Wikiphase. Yeah, it, there was right. There was no pressure uh, at all. Um, it was a learning experience in the sense that it was my first time having to get everything together, having to get artwork together. This is what all, would always happen. I would I would have <laughs> the songs done and then be like, wait, I don't have artwork for this or a name for it or anything like that. Right. And how do I figure that out? You know, and that's when I, I learned Photoshop and, and stuff like that. And um, uh, but yeah, like it, 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 it definitely less pressure. Um until you know until it started to pick up a little bit and then there was a, a little bit more um the need to be a little bit more deliberate with with everything that i'm doing um you have so many releases out at this point between things that are like maybe considered specifically a wikiface thing versus like a collab ep or something like that um i wanted to ask when you're starting to write music for one of these releases do you know going into it that, oh, this is just going to be an EP, a couple songs, or like, do you set out to do an LP where you're like, oh, I have to keep writing more songs for this one specific thing? Normally, if, uh, okay, so any collab EPs are normally started with the idea of, hey, let's do a collab EP, right? It's normally either me approaching someone or someone approaching me. Aside from that, if I'm just writing songs that I believe are going to be solo songs or anything like that, um, I'm just writing, constantly writing um, until that moment hits where I'm like, maybe it's time to to really start thinking about what is next right what uh what the next project is uh, and then when that happens i'll go to run for cover and be like hey is it time <laughs> you know is it time yeah. to start thinking about this and uh and then and then from there it's just looking at what i have um and 
like right now I'm, I have an album coming out June 2nd, but for the past two months, I've just been or three months or whatever, six months, honestly, I've just been writing more songs, right. With no goal, no, um, no sort of uh, overarching like theme or, or anything like I'm just writing songs for the sake of it. And, um, and what will happen is eventually the point will come where, where run for cover will be like, yeah, start, start getting something together or they might be like uh actually we're good we're gonna <laughs> we're, we're not gonna exercise our our option for the next one but yeah regardless um then i'll look at what i have and uh and and see you know what uh that's where like the critical thinking and the planning and the the deliberate nature of it comes into place where i i start to think okay what is it that i want to put out there next um what would be the smartest thing to put out and and what do i have once i have that figured out what do i have written that fits within that framework um and then normally i'll be like okay well i have these four songs right and these four songs are um from here i can build an album around there and so i'll you know i'll start to think okay well i don't have a slow song so i'll I'll try and write one or two of those or something like that, or I don't have a single or something that's an obvious single. So I'll try and write that, but, but using those four songs as an anchor, um, thematically and, and, you know, aesthetically and, and stuff like that. Um, how many of the collab releases that you've done have been with people that you didn't already have a prior relationship with? Like, has that, <laughs> have, have you been hit with like, with ones that are like, have taken you by surprise? Like I th I'm thinking of like Ethel Kane, for example, like I know that's like a pretty big, pretty big one. Like, did you have a relationship with that person before doing that? A little bit. Most, most of the time I do early on, there was no relationship for the first four or five years of Wikipedia. Wow. They were all random people. And, and sometimes it stuck. And, and sometimes the people were people that are still making music now. Sometimes they weren't, um, as it, as, uh, once it got to the point where I couldn't just be recording over every song that was sent to me for free, um, you know, uh, then, then it became more deliberate and I, I kind of just, you know, unless I know you, it's not really going to happen. Ethel Kane, I saw her name on a, um, on a Nicole Dollinger flyer a couple of years ago, 2018 or 2019 like the name listen to the the project on spotify and just reached out and uh it had turned out that she had been at one of my shows um maybe the year year before with a friend i, I think her friend was going on a tinder date at my <laughs> show yeah and she was there like just in case it went weird like you know she wasn't I, like a wicker face fan or anything like that yeah 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 but i had hit her up and then um and then we just became friends you know and then and then and then decided to do a song together um normally that's how it works you know it's sure yeah sure um with uh you know there's nothing i want to talk about less in the world than the pandemic but um <laughs> i i was curious though with like the collaborative nature of this project um how did the pandemic affect the output because so much of what you've done is has been like internet based you know as you're saying you know like like things that get sent or like files being sent and, and working together like that but if i'm correct me if i'm wrong but like looking at how much output you've had it felt like over the pandemic it slowed down just a little bit where like maybe you had a couple less releases than you normally would versus like in like 2020 to 2023 
Yeah, you know, uh, um, one of the things that I, I had been doing over, over the past couple of years is doing more of these collab EPs and stuff like that in person. Um, this is how I have this project Misery Club with, with John and, and Fantasy Camp and Zubin. Um, yeah. And that was just started by like us being friends, wanting to get an air, like, you know, do like a boys weekend away. <laughs> yeah, know? sure. And give it a purpose. So we, we would do stuff like that. And then I was like, oh, this is great because for whatever reason, when I have these short periods of time at an Airbnb, um, the pressure's on and I mean, like my output is great. I need that pressure. And, uh, um, so then I was like, this is how I want to record moving forward. You know, you, um, there's just more energy there. There's, you know, everyone's actively writing and producing and stuff like that for the, you know, 72 hours that you're there. Yeah. And I had a bunch of those planned, uh, for what 2020, I guess. Oh, it shit. Been, right? Yeah. Yeah, I had a bunch of them planned. And then um and one of them was with uh Fantasy Camp and Smart Death. And and that one had to get canceled. And um and then we we took it, you know, we did it the the via the internet, like just emailing stuff back and forth. And it just wasn't the same. Um and I I realized that like I really do like the the in-person nature of it more I, I get more out of it and i feel like my my the quality of stuff that i'm writing in those periods is better and so that went from like what might have been a whole album to just three songs because i i just wasn't as inspired um and then you know and then i was just writing this album uh which this upcoming album which had a lot of like false starts where i was like maybe i'll go in this direction maybe i'll go in that direction blah 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 and then uh uh yeah um, la you know, before we talk about the new record, I wanted to ask, uh, so, uh, from an outside perspective, forgive me, I'm not hella knowledgeable about what the whole goth boy click thing actually is. Like, it seems like it's a, it's like a, like a group of a bunch of friends that all make music on your own, but you all support yes. one another. Is that sort of a fair way to, from, to sort of frame it? But I was yeah. curious if, was there ever a plan to like do a full record? like to have you guys all on a record because from what i can tell there there's only been like a couple singles maybe right there's a yeah there's a mixtape that's not on like streaming platforms oh, okay um uh and that is um that was uh just like you know people would send beats and then if if more than two people from the group were on it it would make the tape or you know whatever but um and then um you know what happened was everyone kind of got uh, either signed to a different label or 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 um, joined like a management group or something like that. And it it kind of just made navigating a, mm. a little navigating forward a little bit more difficult. Right. Because now all of a sudden everyone has album cycles that they kind of have to have to schedule around and, and everyone has their own studio time book and stuff like that. My, again, when, uh, I, I don't, you know, one of the reasons why I left Tiger's Shaw was just, um, it, it was just the nature of being in a band and, and I didn't really want to do that. So with goth boy click, it, you kind of get the, the best of both worlds where you do have a, an affiliation and, and you have a group that you can kind of move with, uh, quote unquote, like move with, but there's no, 
show commitments or anything like that, really, you know, it, it, it's loose. And, and I always describe it as like, it's, if you're a member of the group, it's just a license to, um, put the, the logo on your merch and, and, <laughs> and put the, the tag on your songs, you know? And, yeah. and I think other people might have, have different ideas. I, th I think yawns, for example, who's a, a producer in the group really does want to play more shows and, and tour more and stuff like that. But, um, not everyone's really there and not, you know, everyone else has their own, everyone has their own stuff going on. Jans does too, but uh, right. as a, as a producer, you know, he, he's not really tied to these cycles and, and stuff like that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. so reading about this new record that you have coming out, um, first of all, you mentioned, you know, early on, like going, uh, you know, you, enjoy being in the cat scales and stuff like that is that where you were writing for this one like out a good, kind of, a, a good amount of it yeah 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 yeah. so like kind of getting out in in nature and sort of out of your house is that was that like sort of a driving point it's getting out of the house is the big thing and um just uh having a uh just being on a schedule where i'm i'm i can i can write and and mess around on guitar until two in the morning or something like that without, without bothering anyone. And, and also, you know, the, the freshness of, of, um, uh, space being in a new, yeah, yeah. space and, and being in a, a different location is, uh, I find that helpful. Um, there's this idea of like run of, uh, reinvention that I was reading about with it a little bit where like, it sounds like you were purposefully moving away from some of the, I guess sort of heavier natures of the lyrical themes that you've sung about in the past. Um, and I was curious for like my, uh, my way of relating to this is like, did this come for you as sort of a self-preservation where you are trying to not sing as much stuff, uh, sing as much about that sort of topic, like the sadder elements or, and it's self-preservation in the way of like for you singing about it versus also maybe like your audience connecting with it in a way and like wanting to connect with you about those topics like is it sort of a mix of both like what what was the motivation there for wanting to sort of change direction lyrically yes <laughs> the, <laughs> the answer is yes uh yeah. you know a big part of it is that um <sighs> how do i say this i with Suffer On, my intention was to create something that was, you know, my approach to that was like, okay, there's, you know, at the time of writing that, there were so many people all of a sudden doing something similar to what I was doing, right? Um, not, and I'm not saying that they copied me or anything like that. I'm just saying it, sure. it just became a thing, right? It just became yeah. a, a, a cultural thing. My approach was like, okay, well, you guys, you guys think you're writing sad lyrics. I'm going to write like the, I'm going to try and write the most depressing and raw and real lyrics that I can. And, and I'm going to prove that I'm the best at this. Right. Well, uh, maybe I did that. Maybe I didn't, but it, um, I mean, maybe it worked and maybe it didn't, but it definitely made those songs really uncomfortable to play at shows sometimes or talk about in interviews or, um, you know, oftentimes people will ask what, what really happened there? What, it, what did you make up and what is reality? And, um, that 
being the dominant topic of conversation around around those types of songs doesn't really interest me um i i it just doesn't you know i'd rather uh i'd rather speak for itself exactly exactly so so with this new album i thought i just thought that there could be a more um artful way of approaching it i'm like rolling my eyes at myself for saying that but a more uh again deliberate way in a more delicate way of of um tackling these subjects while also uh showing growth as a as a writer and and expanding the world that um you know the world of of wickerface friends eternal you know uh early on i always say this early on all wickerface was was like branding and aesthetics and buzzwords and that's all the lyrics were there was no substance and then it got to the point with with secret boy and suffer on where it was uh almost too much substance and too much it was too grounded in real life um and now i think i've i i can you know with 10 more years of songwriting experience i think i'm finally at a place where i can bring back the idea of of aesthetics and and world building and stuff like that in a in a a smarter way in a more mature way and um that's what i try to do with this record there's still melodrama i'm a melodramatic person naturally and and that stuff comes naturally so um there's still that it's just a uh you know buried under under some shrubbery on this record fair enough um i appreciate the honesty and everything you just said um the you just put out a new i mean this is going to come out in a couple of weeks probably around the release of the record but um is it today you just put out that single it's getting dark yeah today yeah yeah, yeah it's that song's great like i that, and that feels like i mean i'm i feel like i'm familiar enough with your catalog but that feels like a different sort of singer songwriter approach that i haven't heard from you um is that fair to say yeah run for cover will be very happy with you saying that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh i mean you know part of their part of their their advice for this album was just like when i said you know what what would you like me to do you know i can do whatever so give me some guidelines yeah. and, and one of their um suggestions was just to you know show off a little bit more of, of what you can do in the in the in the singer songwriter world and, and explore different genres and stuff like that. And then see what sticks after this record comes out, you know? So, um, this song's so got that's like what I some, tried to do. Yeah. This song's got some like twang to it in a way that is pretty yeah. awesome. And the fact that the cover has uh, you on a horse, uh, it's all, it's yeah. all, <laughs> it's all coming together. Um, yeah. was, uh, this is just a funny question for me. Please don't take offense, but is, is, is making this record self-titled, um, I feel like for a lot of us, because when you do that, it's either it's either a mission statement or you're creatively bankrupt. <laughs> it's a it's a mission statement. Okay, it's right. uh, you know, it, it's intentionally. Like I said, you know, I, as I as I I got, I decided that I did want to focus on the world building aspect yeah. of it. Um, I figured by self titling this record, the the first song on the album is self titled as well. Right. Um, by doing that, it's it's a good entry point to to uh, for first time listeners, you know, and and they can uh, hear this and and kind of get a sense of of what the project is about, and then if they want to explore more, they they can. I love that. I love that. Yeah, Thank you. it's uh, just you had mentioned earlier, like not having to think, like being like, oh fuck, now I got to figure out how to name this thing <laughs> or whatever. So, 
uh, we were there was a time period where we were going to name our last record, just have our last record be self-titled as the same th- sort of thing. Where I was like, hey, it's our fifth record. Like, it's kind of like a bold statement to be like, fuck it, we're just going to make this one self-titled. Yeah. Um, so I respect it. I like it. Um, Thank you. Congrats on, I mean, congrats on this thing coming out. Uh, I'm really excited about it. Both the singles you've released so far, I'm really into. So I'm excited to hear the whole thing. Um, Thank you. Well, let me hit you with the last question, which is when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards? I'll tell you what, it was in, uh, this one's easy. I'll, it, it, it is. It was when I was uh, on tour with, with Lil Peep. And uh, actually, there was a lot of Goth Boy Click people on that tour. There was, there was Fishnark, there was MacNed. Um, and it was in 2017 and I was still working, uh, a full-time job and, uh, uh, I did a two week run and it was just seeing, um, a large part of this is peeps doing and his super loyal fan base. That's totally separate from, uh, uh, goth boy click or maybe they they only know about goth boy click through him right but um it was the first time i had been on a tour where i was opening for someone and the crowd was reacting for every opener like every opener and it felt like they were my shows even though they were his shows they felt like they were my shows because of how warm everyone was and i realized that there was something more there that had to be explored and and that there might be opportunity to you know really commit and 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 make it happen and the fact that someone who was associated with us um someone who was part of the same group as we were someone who's and and people's a fan of us um before we knew him you know he he just uh he was just a fan, you know, he was yeah. a fan of art. We, you looked yeah. at his old tweets and stuff like that. Um, having seen his success and seeing that, that he was able to make it work was, was really when I was like, you know what there, I, I do think there's, there's something more here. And I think maybe I haven't, haven't gone fully in uh, with music the way I could and, and should at least try to. And that really, it was that tour uh, where I, you know, I went home and I, I called my manager at the time, uh, and uh, and and we just talked about like what it might look like to to do this full time. And and I'm not one for for taking big risks or anything like that if I'm not certain that they'll pay off. So it was that knowing that knowing that I placed that call to my manager was like enough for me to be like well in my heart i know this is this is what i should be doing and it is the first time i felt like that because had i felt like that with tiger's shot no offense to them or the band i i wouldn't have left you know and i i would have i would have quit my job sooner and dedicated myself fully to it but it really wasn't until 2017 when i was 27 years old you know i i was like i think this is the time you know and right and it worked out uh, you know I, I hope it worked out. You know, I guess we're, it's still kind of a, in the, I, I don't know how you know if it worked out or not, but it, it feels like it's working out. For sure. No, that's beautiful. And I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I wanted to, I guess before we wrap um, with, you know, to talk about little people a little bit, like um, I had read that he was like originally from Allentown, but it sounds like you didn't meet until much, till like much later. Right. 
Yeah. I also heard that, but I don't know if how, that's true. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I know that he was born in New York and then oh, he might've spent a little bit of time in Allentown, but his, his family's from Long Island and, and that's where he grew up. Um, this is maybe this, is, this will be sort of yeah. a sweet first, first experience question, but what was your first experience meeting him? It was, uh, <laughs> here's what it was. It was, um, uh, he moved to LA and was getting, getting a little bit, uh, he was getting a little popular on, on SoundCloud and, uh, he called, um, he, he became friends with, with Horsehead who's, who's in goth boy click and, and our friend Ned Arb, who's a producer, they became friendly, uh, might've moved in with them. I kind of forget a little murky and they, um, but there was already the, the early signs of him becoming something right. Like larger than, you know, breaking out from the underground and becoming mainstream. There was just be it the people that he was in touch with or the people that were emailing him or writing about him. And, um, and Horsehead suggested that we asked him to be a part of the group. And I was like, well, I want, I never met him. So I want to talk to him first. And, uh, so he called me and we talked, uh, and I was like, shocked because listen the majority of people that i that i've met through this scene are uh a lot of them are are they almost don't seem like real people when i talk to people that are in in the the hardcore and punk world they're they're real people right a lot of times these people that i meet from the internet are it, it seems like they're putting on an act right i did not feel this way at all with him not one second. I was like, this guy is intelligent. He knows what he's doing. He has goals. And, and you know, he's he has faith in himself. And he has faith in goth boy click. Just the way he was talking, you know. It, you know, what he's like, I'm in touch with this label. And I'm going to get us all signed. And, and <laughs> but, but aside from that, I could tell that he was smart. And uh, so, so then... Uh, I think it was two weeks later he got booked for a show in LA and then they ended up booking all of goth boy clicks. So, so I went out there and I met him uh, in person like two weeks after that. Um, and then it was, yeah, it was, uh, that, that would have been in like 2016 or something like that. That's Just awesome. Smart. He was smart kid. Yeah. Really smart. Yeah. I appreciate mm. you sharing that. And you yeah, know, of course. it's, it's obviously some years removed, but you know, deep, deep, sincere condolences to you and all your friends for, for that situation. Oh, yeah, of course. Thank you. Um, well, this has been great. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today, Adam. It's, it's, Sorry it's long I talked o- your ear off. Long overdue. No, not at all. This is what we do here. <laughs> okay. Come on. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Adam for coming on and thank you for listening. Reminder, there's a bonus episode available right now where Adam answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can hear that by going to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. And hey, if you were new here and you enjoyed this, please subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you're listening to this. And if you have a sec to leave a positive rating and review, that would mean oh so much to me. These things help. All right. Have a good rest of your week. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye.